What's up, guys? Today's episode is really exciting. It's with Julian Sage, who is the short-term rental sage or Airbnb guy. And he's a friend of mine. We met a few months back, and we've gone to FinCon together. We've gone to Bigger Pockets together. We've been talking a lot. He is a active-duty Coast Guard and only an E4 who is doing very, very well for himself. He's got a very bright future, and if you like Airbnb, VRBO, vacation rental, or are even interested in what all that means... Stay tuned. And don't forget, show notes are found at from militarymillionaire.com slash podcast. Now relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Today's episode is brought to you by Proper Insurance, which is insurance for short-term rentals. Now, you may be saying, but Dave, I have homeowner's insurance. And yes, that's what I thought. But all homeowner's insurance policies carry a business activity exclusion. In other words, any claim involving business activity could rightfully be denied. And since Airbnb can generally be considered to be a business activity your policy may just not cover you. So it's definitely worth taking the time to just jump on a call with these guys and hear what they have to offer. It's affordable insurance, and it is much better to cover your rear if you're interested in short-term rentals than it is to not and be screwed. So definitely take a look. Proper insurance. There will be a link down below, and I recommend you at least, just like I said, give them a call, hear what they have to offer. Quotes free. Check it out. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm here with Julian Sage, the short-term rental guy, who is a friend of mine. Uh, we met, I guess, like six months ago, really through YouTube. He reached out to me. I would like to go on record because I, I, I don't know I, that no one ever does that, so that's cool. And then we went to FinCon together, and then we went to Bigger Pockets conference together, and then we've been talking ever since. So it's been good. But so Julian is a petty officer third class or E4 in the Coast Guard, who is like absolutely crushing it probably more so than a lot of my guests have been crushing it uh in the airbnb game and he's got a ton of awesome stuff going for him including uh coaching and podcasting and we'll get into all that but uh just absolutely crushing it so julian thanks for joining me today uh, thank you so much david it is uh really an honor um i i wanted to reach out to you because i love what you're doing within the military community uh i started my own military podcast um or my own military YouTube channel, all about like Coast Guard and finance. So when I saw that you were doing, you know, military finance and real estate, I was like, man, this guy is just uh, so cool. And I think at the time you only had like maybe 300 or uh, 400 uh, subscribers. And uh, when I was reaching out to you, I, I think I was at like around 2000, but uh, this isn't to, to like boast or anything, but I was just like, man, this guy is going to crush it. And then lo and behold, you're, you're just like, quickly outpacing. And I think what you're doing is so cool. You have such an awesome community. I'm in your mastermind group. So for those of you that uh, are in the military and want to join, uh, definitely it is such so cool to be with a bunch of like-minded individuals that are crushing it in the military uh, real estate space. So thank you so much, David, for everything that you're doing with this community. <laughs> I, I didn't tell him to prep to, uh, to promote that, but I'm glad you think so. I, I'm having a lot of fun running that uh, mastermind group, but we've got some pretty solid guest speakers lined up, some some absolute specialists. So it's going to be cool. Uh, Julia, tell us, give us a little bit about your story before we dig into some uh, short-term rental stuff that everyone wants to hear about. 
Yeah, um, that's a long story. I've been in the Coast Guard for about uh, six years now, coming up on six years. And uh, when I first started, uh, I tried a bunch of different things. I was trying the uh, cryptocurrencies. I made like 120,000 while I was in A school as an E3 and then uh, quickly lost it because the market went up and then it went back down. Uh, I've tried mobile home investing and uh, tried that out as well. I started in the LLC, was going to a bunch of different parks and trying to figure out like, you know, what, what it is that, that I wanted to do. Um, uh, I've looked into like wholesaling. I did like stocks and options and, and tried all these different things and, and nothing really clicked. I even tried making an app. So, uh, while I was in E3 and, and, and at my last unit, I was uh, developing a cooking app where um, people could find recipes based off ingredients in their kitchen. And I was paying investors, like uh, I think I spent like almost, almost $10,000 to develop this app in over seven months. And then I quickly realized that I was uh, way outside. I was trying to build way too much. I uh, wasn't able to build this minimum viable product, which is what you try to build, like just something to get out the gate and uh, became quickly overwhelmed. Uh, I was planning on getting out at that point, uh, but I wanted to learn how to be, uh, how to code and how to do this stuff. So I started taking college classes, um, was going to be getting out of the Coast Guard. But uh, I, I kind of got that fear like, hey, I'm going to be getting, getting out, um, going to be doing something that I, I'm not super familiar with. And um, so I decided to stay in and become an IT in the Coast Guard. And uh, I, I mean, it was, it was such a blessing that I did stay in at that point because I really was still figuring out what I wanted to do uh, in my life. Like I tried all these different things and was was you know investing my time and energy and just figuring out what it is that I wanted to do, thinking that um, I wanted to do all these different things. But uh, I'm so glad that I stayed in and wanted to continue on with the Coast Guard because it allowed me even more time to really discover what it is that I wanted to do. Um, so from there, uh, I got to my next unit, um, became a petty officer. I uh, purchased my first house and. Um, I quickly realized that, you know, being in the DC area, it was very expensive to live here. Uh, the BAH is around uh, 2,400 or it's like 2,495 for an E4 that's married. And uh, I was like, man, that, that's a good chunk of change. And uh, being an E4, you're not making a whole lot of money for your base pay. So I said, I need to be able to save this money. And in the Coast Guard, um, it's not like a lot of the other military branches where uh, you have to live on the base. So as an E3 uh, at the previous units that I was at, I was always living in the economy and getting BAH. So I was actually able to, you know, I learned, I had to learn how to house hack right off the bat because I didn't know, uh, I needed to be able to save money because, uh, you know, so I was, I had a roommate at my first unit, uh, at my second unit, uh, I, I lived in a small studio, but then when I got married, we got a bigger place and then we got another roommate. Uh, so I've always been able to house hack my properties. Uh, so when we came to this place in DC and I wanted to purchase a property, my wife was actually like, Hey, um, you know, um, why don't we do this Airbnb stuff and, and get into this space? We can, we can basically house hack our basement. And when my wife was on board, I was like, okay, okay, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's jump on this. So we found a property that we could renovate the basement. Um, we, we went through this whole long renovation process. Uh, I started this podcast because um, short-term rental success stories, because I wanted to know what other people are doing in the space. Uh, so I started reaching out to other hosts, other people that are uh, Airbnb hosts. And I was talking to them, finding out like, hey, what, what can I do uh, to make my unit good? Um, really just really kind of doing this for myself, honestly. And um, through there, I started uh, reaching out to a bunch of people. I found uh, this one guy um, who was making like over... He had over 22 properties to this thing called rental arbitrage. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. 
but um, he was killing it. And he saw that what I was doing with the podcast and he was like, Hey, you're, you're crushing it. I was like, well, you're crushing it. You're making, <laughs> making a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, I don't even have a property at this point. And uh, he was like, well, let's, uh, let's, let's start a podcast together. And I said, okay, let's, let's do that. You know, free mentorship. And um, yeah, I got, got my property up and running. It was able to cover my mortgage payments. And, uh, and that, that's really kind of where we are today. Dude, that's crazy. So I love, well, I love a lot of what you say in there. I love that you were going to do a cooking app. Um, I'm actually kind of curious to pick your brain on that because I've debated the idea of playing around with a small app before, but I, I kind of fear what you were talking about, like throwing a lot of money at it and then it just be like crap. Um, but I love, I mean, obviously the whole journey, but the fact that you said you started a podcast because you wanted to learn something and didn't know, like that's the perfect like way to go about that. So I started a podcast kind of unintentionally because I was just interviewing people to talk to them. And what I realized very quickly is some of the biggest benefits of podcasting aside from like the whole credibility thing is the fact that I get to, I get access to people I would not normally get access to because someone who's like way out of your league as an investor when you're newer is not going to be like, yeah, sure. I'll give you an hour to talk to you about anything you want to talk about without something in it for them. And the podcast is something in it for them because people can hear it, whatever. So the fact that you did that, like you literally found a way to not only find a mentor, but to find like a whole lot of mentors from people who've done it very successfully and been there already where you want to go. And you did it in a way that helps them out because everybody listening is going to get something out of it. Your hosts are going to get some publicity, you know, a backlink, whatever. Like that's just a really cool way to do that. I always tell people to start a meetup if there's not a meetup in your area. And you basically started like your own virtual like mentorship meetup area. And it's grown as, as we can dig into here in a little bit. Um, and then you found this guy who very successful in Airbnb to partner with on. I mean, that's, that's really cool. Like that, that in itself is just a really cool success story for people doing their, when you're talking about the, like, I can't mentality and like you didn't even have a property that you had ever Airbnb yet. And you've built a business out of Airbnb while learning that. Like, that's cool. That's really cool. Um, all right. So, couple questions that I wanted to ask you about short-term rentals. Um, and then we'll kind of dig into a little bit more about where you're at now, where you guys are going and what you guys do. Cause I think it's really cool. But uh, my first question I'd like to ask you is something that I get asked all the time, especially when I was in Hawaii or some of those big markets where it's like a big controversial point. Um, do you think short-term rentals are here to stay? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question, David. Um, it's, do I think short-term rentals are here to stay? I definitely think that they're here to stay. Do I think regulations are going to be changing? Uh, yes. Um, you, you have to look at it as like Uber. Uber came into the space and a lot of people were very upset. You know, the taxi industry was very angry. Um, they didn't want it to, to happen. A lot of the counties were, you know, uh, were changing their, their regulations. But, uh, you know, as we see now, Uber is here to stay and it, it's, it's such a benefit to the community and people can see that. It's the same thing with short-term rentals. You know, there, there's, been, there's been vacation rentals, you know, for, for centuries, you know. Um, it, it's been around forever. Uh, Florida, you know, for example, that, that's, that's been such, um, they, they've had vacation rentals in Florida for, you know, since the beginning of Florida. Like people want to stay in Florida for a vacation. They don't, they might not want to live there, but they do want to stay there at least part-time. 
Um, so it is here to say, but regulations probably are going to be changing, especially when there is like stuff coming out with like uh, people that uh, are getting injured. There's like, mm-hmm. there was a recent shooting with Airbnb. Um, so things are probably going to get uh, maybe uh, regulated, but I don't think that uh, it's, it's not, it's like, there's going to be like a no Airbnb allowed. Uh, there's a lot of people that are, um, people know what they want. There's a lot of new business and money that is coming into the space. Um, so, but it, it does really come down to the individual municipality who, who the County is deciding. Um, but so Hawaii, let's say, for example, is going to be saying, let's say, uh, you're not allowed to short-term rent, but there are going to be counties that, that will allow it. Um, there can't be like a blanket policy that will say you're allowed to, it really is down to the County. But I I think as people realize uh, how much money there is in the short-term rental space uh, from a, you know, from a County perspective, how much they're able to make on that TOT, that, that uh, transient occupancy tax, uh, as well as how it also helps the businesses, local businesses thrive. Uh, Airbnb is going to be here and um, it's just, there's going to be tweaks and changes to come. Yeah, I agree completely. So I just read the Airbnb story. Um, I don't know if you've seen that book yet. It's, I think it's fairly new, but it's like the story of how they started, which I think is cool because it's just three random dudes who like literally put up air mattresses during an event and were like, hey, this was fun. I bet we could do more with this. Um, what is interesting to me that they're headquartered in San Francisco and that's one of the two biggest cities that like San Francisco and New York have like completely banned Airbnb. And so that in the book, they're talking about how hard it is to test new programs because they can't test in their headquarters market. Um, but I think, and you kind of touched on it there, I think a lot of it from what they were saying in the book and, and just from what I've seen, especially in Hawaii, is that a lot of the issues, I mean, you mentioned the the shooting or some racist, you know, those, those aren't necessarily Airbnb issues. Those are host issues. And they just happen to manifest themselves as Airbnb because people want to blame the more money involved authority to get more out of it. But hotels like that's the big issue is hotels are seeing like oh this is a real competitor and a real threat but we still have enough money to fight this so we're gonna make because in hawaii like the counties where it's like the most difficult are the hotel counties or the or the town the counties where it's uh like million dollar homes and they just don't want their neighbor to airbnb for no other reason than my home costs a lot of money and i don't want my neighbor to airbnb um which is just funny because I'm, I mean, I'm in San Diego and I've been Airbnb in a room for four months now and all my neighbors know nobody cares. Like, so I don't know. Well, I think you brought up a really good point, David, with those hotels and that the hotel areas, these, a lot of the regulations that we do see changing are in these very built out metropolitan areas. Uh, and that's because that's where there's a lot of money. There's a lot of hotel power in those places. You know, the hotels and the cities work very hand in hand. So there are hotel lobbyists that are working with the, within those cities. But some really cool, interesting uh, stats that came out through Airbnb was that in, uh, I believe it was in rural parts of the Carolinas, the pace of short-term rentals is actually outpacing the growth of uh, hotels in those metropolitan cities because there aren't places for people to stay in those more rural locations. Um, and, and like you were saying before, with it, it's not Airbnb specifically, it is the host. And like any business, there are systems that you can put into place. So a lot of this also has to come down to education. And if hosts are able to create the systems to be able to screen guests, you can't just depend on Airbnb or one of these online uh, channel on, online booking platforms to be able to, you know, get in quality guests. It really comes down to the host. But uh, there, there's a lot of a lot of really good stuff that is coming out of 
these these changes. Uh, it's going to weed out a lot of bad people that aren't here to stay. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity. This is such a green market um, for uh, people to be able to profit from the short-term rental uh, niche in real estate. Absolutely. And for the record, it's not only the host. Like if you're hearing this, the, the horror stories you hear about guests, there, there are some of those and they're true. Uh, I don't know that I'll ever see one of those because I live in the property and I'm like this somewhat intimidating looking asshole. So I don't foresee that I'll ever run into like the massive orgy in my house because I'm here. Um, but you know, we've heard those horror stories, but again, these are like the, the one percent of the one percent of the one percent, like it's happened like a handful of times in the like 170 million guests they've had or whatever. So don't worry about that stuff. If you're looking into this, don't let that kind of crap through you. That's like saying you don't want to get into real estate because you don't want to change, you know, flush a toilet. Well, guess what? I've never dealt with a toilet. So yeah. people, um, people, people surf and there's a bunch of sharks in the water, but you know, you just, you, <laughs> there's, there's things that you do to not get bitten by a shark. You don't wear shiny objects. You don't go out at night. It's the same thing with hosting. There, there are you don't sharks go in out when there. you're already bleeding. You yeah. Know? You don't go in when you're already bleeding. There, there's things that you can do to be able to prevent and mitigate those types of situations from happening. So it really does come down to host education. That's a good analogy. I like that. I'm going to have to use that shark analogy again. Um, all right. So do you have a preference between Airbnb and Verbo, which I think is hilarious that they now they're trying to like make themselves all hipster dipster by saying Verbo instead of VRBO, but. Yeah, uh, that, that's a good question, David. Airbnb and Verbo, uh, these are these are booking channels that you can uh, host your 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 home on. Um, there is a difference though with the types of clientele that you're getting on Airbnb versus, let's say, Verbo. Uh, Airbnb, it's going to be typically people that are very new to the market. Uh, this might be their entry gateway to uh, hosting. And it's also going to be a cheaper type of clientele. When we're dealing with things like Booking.com, Expedia, Travelocity, uh, uh, Verbo, uh, these are going to be uh, typically they are going to be an older demographic. They might be a little bit more experienced. Verbo has actually been around since I believe 95. Uh, so Verbo has actually been longer since, um, Airbnb. Uh, so these channels are a little bit more for established people that are within the space. And it's also location dependent too. So, uh, it's a different type of clientele. There is not one that is better than the other people on, let's say Verbo and Homeway pay a little bit more than people on Airbnb, but you're able to get a lot more bookings on Airbnb than let's say, uh, Verbo, Homeway and, and booking.com. Yeah, that's absolutely been my experience. I'm getting, I mean, on a bad day, $20 more a night on Verbo, probably closer to like 30, 40. Uh, but I get one maybe two bookings a month. Whereas Airbnb, I might get, you know, $20, $30 less, but I've got like at least 20 days a month booked through them. Um, and I mean, shoot this month, I might, I might only have like five or six days this month that I didn't have someone staying here and it's days I blocked off because I wasn't going to have time to clean because of flights or whatever. Um, which is funny because I mean, as of like last night, when someone booked the only two remaining days available, I proved that I, if I hadn't blocked those days off, I probably would have been full this month. Um, so it might be a little bit less, but when you factor it in cleaning fees and stuff, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, I think it's funny that Verbo had existed for so long and like nobody knew it existed until Airbnb decided to just like disrupt the entire industry. So it goes to show you that it's not always first that wins. Um, cool. Uh, do you prefer, so I, we'll talk into some, actually, I'll ask you what your favorite Airbnb strategy is first, and then we'll ask the rental arbitrage question. So, yep. 
I, that, that's a good question. Um, my favorite strategy. So for those that don't know, um, there within short-term renting, there, there is uh, different types of ways that you can short-term rent. Uh, there is, you can do traditional buy and holds or your burrs, your fix and flips. Uh, you can do uh, turnkey properties. You could do uh, co-hosting. Co-hosting is a very unique strategy. Uh, this is kind of uh, very specific to short-term renting. And this is basically property management. In traditional uh, long-term rental real estate, you, uh, depending on where you live, uh, which state you're in, you have to be either licensed uh, to be able to manage other people's properties. Uh, within the Airbnb short-term rental space, you don't, uh, you don't need to have a license to be able to manage people's short-term rentals. Uh, so you can basically become a property manager uh, very easily. Anybody can become a property manager. Um, and there's a lot of money in the space. Uh, what we're able to make as property managers through co-hosting is what somebody that is investing all this money into a single family home. So I might be able to make $400, $500, you know, $1,000 a month managing somebody's property versus having to invest all this money. So I love co-hosting. I think it's, uh, it's a very scalable business. When we look at uh, companies like uh, Evolve, um, Vacation Rental, or uh, Vacasa, all these different companies, um, they're all just property management companies. Uh, so it's a scalable uh, niche within short-term renting. Uh, the other very unique one, which is all the buzz right now, is rental arbitrage uh, or re-renting, subleasing, um, uh, uh, corporate housing. <coughs> Uh, that is another very popular strategy within the short rental space uh, where you are basically, uh, I'm working with landlords to be able to, uh, or apartment complexes to uh, sublease that, that property uh, as a corporate housing entity. And then I listed on sites like Airbnb, Verbo, HomeAway um, for uh, a specific type of traveler. So uh, the this is what I love so much about short-term renting is that there's a bunch of different niches within it. Uh, all of them have their different types of uh, takeaways, you know, co-hosting, it's going to be, uh, you're, you're only getting a management fee of around 15 to maybe 25%. Uh, but the, you're not investing any of your money personally, uh, rental arbitrage, you're investing your own money into just the lease and the furnishing. So it is a lot cheaper around $10,000 is, is a good, good ballpark for what you would be investing into a property, but the returns is a hundred percent, but you also do take on all the risk. So uh, leveraging both of them within the space is kind of the optimal strategy, which we teach, uh, which isn't what a lot of people do teach in the space. Uh, but we look at both of them and we say, how can we uh, utilize both strategies? And then once we do get that cash flow, diverting it into uh, uh, traditional buy and holds, which is going to create more of that generational wealth. That's cool. So what, what, is it, what does it look like? Like, what's an example of you guys combining that? So, so an example, so an example of this would be probably David is within the DC market. Um, we are investing into rental arbitrage properties. So, so within the DC market, my partner, John, uh, he, he started off with around 22 properties, uh, through rental arbitrage and, uh, you know, it's, it's, you're investing a lot of your own cash into that business. Um, and you're, but you're able to scale very quickly, but it is also very seasonal. So during the slower seasons, you might not be able to get those, you know, those, 2000, you know, you might not be able to get maybe let's say uh, double the note value if it's uh, during the slow seasons. Uh, you might just be able to break even, even during some months. So a strategy that we use is we, I've started taking on clients to be able to manage their properties for them. And basically that levels of things out. So now we're able to uh, know that we're able to profit every single month uh, instead of just maybe breaking even during those slower months. 
Man, I tried to mute that, and I guess my sneeze is going to be forever embedded on the show. I apologize. That's cool, man. That, that's really cool. So I completely agree. I love that there are so many different strategies. Uh, I'm kind of doing a mix, I guess. So I'm, I guess I'm doing rental arbitrage, but I live in the place. So I got my landlord to agree to me renting out rooms whenever my family's out of town. And I just didn't mention that they're out of town a lot. And then, yeah, I'm renting out the downstairs bedroom, bathroom, kind of like a house hack. And I was renting downstairs and upstairs, but I actually decided to turn the downstairs into a two person max listing. Uh, I've got a couple more, three or four showing up before the end of this month. But after this month is over, it'll be a two person max listing. And then I'm going to find a queen frame and mattress and a TV. Uh, in fact, for testing it out, I might just use the TV that's in my master and just throw it in there and just test the waters with a second booking, probably because it's upstairs and not directly attached to the kitchen, probably drop the price like $20 a night. So it'll be affordable, like super, like ridiculously underpriced for the market. And then I'm going to have two different listings for two different rooms in the house and see how much more that generates out of my, um, but as of right now, I mean, my, my rent is 3000 a month here in San Diego and my in three months, my best, and I'm still learning how to do this, but in three months, my best is 2300 that I pulled in through Airbnb. So uh, considering how much my rent is, that's not bad for one bedroom. And I've got to meet some cool people. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an exciting space. There are so many different ways within the short-term rental space that you can uh, do things like I house hack, you can do uh, rental arbitrage, you can do co-hosting, you can do traditional, uh, you know, burr with short-term renting. Um, there's also things like glamping. And I, I've, I've had people on the podcast that even uh, purchase like Airstreams uh, and then they turn those into short-term rentals or they purchase a farm and then they have cabins that they also short-term rent. And then they're able to incorporate Airbnb experiences to be able to upsell the people that stay on their properties. There's just so much within the space. And that's why I, I, this is my favorite uh, form of real estate investing. I like that you mentioned the farm thing. That's like a goal of mine is like go back to Missouri and get my own little like five or 10 acre patch to do like a couple tiny homes or cabins on. I think that's I think, I think it's just a cool experience. Like I see people doing that. I'm like, man, that looks fun. What are some big mistakes that you see people making with short-term rentals that uh, are pretty easy to avoid? Like for me, I know for a fact that my biggest mistake so far when I started was I didn't realize that I could just shift my check-in time to like 6 p.m. And so I was giving myself like a two-hour window to clean the place on lunch before I, you know, like run home, clean the place, run back before a guest showed up which in itself wasn't terrible until I had a guest who didn't check out on time and I came home to clean the place and they were making lunch. And I was like, crap, well, let me text this person who, cause I'm doing everything myself. And I'm like, let me text this person to tell them that the house might not be cleaned enough. <laughs> so I changed that very quickly, but. Yeah, that, that's a really good question, David. Uh, the biggest mistake that I see uh, within within the uh, Facebook groups and the community is people choosing to use smart pricing. So smart pricing is a tool on Airbnb, uh, which uh, they try to uh, say like your home is worth this much. Biggest issue with that though, is that uh, Airbnb is always going to underprice your, your house, um, uh, your unit, uh, because they're trying to fill occupancy and they don't care so much about how much you're able to make. So uh, let's say like my property, uh, they, they say that it's worth like $40 a night. I don't charge $40 a night for my basement unit. I charge 
like anywhere between uh, 80 to $100 a night. If I was using uh, the Airbnb smart pricing, I would be way undervaluing myself and my home. So a lot of people don't know that and they think because they're getting 100% occupancy that their home is doing good. Well, if you're getting 100% occupancy, then that probably means that you're underpricing your home. You should be aiming for around a, you know, anywhere between 70 to 80% occupancy is the ideal range for where you want your, your listing to be, to be done. Uh, so I know that you use, uh, David, because you're a professional, uh, you actually use dynamic pricing. So uh, dynamic pricing is one of the tools that it, uh, it looks at the market and it says, uh, based off of events and off of uh, other things that are happening, based off of weekend prices, seasonality, how much your home should be worth um, based off of what your base price is. Um, so it, it can be confusing to know like how much is your basement unit worth. But, um, if you do know how much you're trying to make and you can look and analyze what other people in the market are also charging, if they're not using the Airbnb smart pricing and they're able to give the uh, actual value for what the property's worth, uh, you can, you can make a whole lot more. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you calling me a professional for that. The reality for those of you listening is that Jill, Julian and I talked like, two, three weeks ago. And he told me about that. And I was like, I'm an idiot. I've been leaving money on the table. Um, however, since then it has definitely helped because I know for a fact that I've had some much higher value, uh, bookings and, uh, you know, I'm kicking myself. I got someone staying over Thanksgiving next week and they paid the normal, like $50 a night and the dynamic pricing had it at like 110. And so if I had been doing that sooner, uh, I, I'm sure I would have been making a lot more money through that period. Now, granted, you know, having someone come and stay and making like 400 bucks is still great, but if it was $700, it'd be better. So it's nice to see larger numbers when people book for sure. So I completely agree with dynamic pricing after only two weeks of using it. It's been wonderful. Um, you oh, might sorry. want to include a, uh, a link to your beyond pricing subscription, your referral <laughs> link. There you go. Yeah. That's a hey. good, good place to, to, to drop the, that's, that's true. There is a link for that. So if you are Airbnb uh, hosting, you know, check the notes down below. Because seriously, like I've already made a ton of money on just two bookings that have booked through dynamic pricing. They've both been over twenty dollars a night more than what I was charging. Uh, and my and I hooked it up to VRBO, and it's charging like forty dollars a night more than I was there. In fact, it wanted to charge two hundred a night for my place, and I was like, uh, that's even if that's accurate. No, I like I cut it down like eighty dollars because I was like I don't care that much. I'm not trying to make two hundred dollars a night because then I've because at that point I feel like I've got way higher expectations from guests and I just want to be able to like hang out with them, have a beer with them, not like have champagne waiting on their pillow for you know for two hundred dollars a night. I better be offering like chocolate on the pillow and stuff. I don't want to do that. Um, all right. So what do you think are some of the most important things to do when you're getting started? Like what are some things that people overlook when they're starting out? Maybe that people overlook when they're starting out. I guess we kind of just covered one. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's really important when you are just starting out. Um, look at this. You, you want to start one unit like you're going to be starting, you know, let's say 10. Um, it's all about systems that you have in place. If, you, if you're just looking to, you know, maybe uh, stay small and list like a basement unit, um, yeah, you can offer a very cheap and affordable place and, you know, be able to help you cover your, your rent. But you're also uh, going to be competing with a lot of other people that are offering a similar service. Um, it's the systems that you have in place when you are just starting off. Do you have, uh, 
Do you have a system for your house manuals? Are you educating yourself in the space? Do you know what other professional hosts are using uh, in the rules? Uh, are you, do you have a system for your pricing? Do you have a system for how you're going to be reaching out to cleaners? Uh, it can be a lot for people that are just coming into this business because it's, it's not real estate. This is hospitality. Um, but there is education out there. There is tools out there for you to be able to utilize uh, so that you can optimize your listing. One of the big things is people take really bad photos. Um, it's, it's actually kind of funny when you're going through a lot of the listings and they're like, it looks like they're maybe running through the home and all the lights are off. And uh, <laughs> like, why would you put that online? <laughs> and those, yeah. are, those are easy things that people uh, don't maybe understand that, that people, you have to put yourself in the guest perspective. If I was going through uh, Airbnb or any of these sites and scrolling through the listings, what is going to be a calling to me? What is, what's going to pop? What's going to attract? Things like your, your title. Uh, is your title just like one bedroom downtown or is it, you know, one bedroom with uh, free Netflix and queen size bed and, you know, beer in the fridge? Uh, you know, are, are you are you doing things to be able to attract the type of client, uh, the type of guest that you're uh, that you'd like? Or are you just posting a very dirty, very unattractive place online uh, that that's that's really, um, you know, you have to come from a hospitality mindset. Yeah, that's big. That's definitely big. Um, I mean, I changed my title recently. And, and you know what I love about Airbnb is that they do the professional photos for you. I thought that was really, really smart. So I had, you know, I took some cell phone pictures. Actually, I think I took them with my Canon, but I'm not a pro. So they were decent photos. Uh, but after like one or two bookings, Airbnb hits me up and says, hey, would you, we found this professional photographer. She charges, I don't know, like 140 bucks. And they're like, but we'll take it out of your next booking so you don't actually have to pay a penny would you be down? And I was like, yeah, that sounds smart. Let's do that. And so, yeah, you pay for it, but you pay for it out of someone else booking. So it doesn't actually come out of your bank account. And then, uh, oh man, like photos are so much better. And the nice thing is like she came in, I was at work. So she took the pictures of the place, but then she took the place pictures of like the neighborhood. She took, the, she took pictures of like the pool area, which I wouldn't have even thought to put on there, even though I listed that I had a community pool. Um, and she just, I mean, she made the neighborhood look amazing. Everything looks great. Like she did a fantastic job. And for the 140 bucks, like my booking shot through the roof. So obviously the first booking paid for that, but then every booking after that has probably been at least in part due to those photos. So no, you, you hit on a really good point in that the Airbnb photos, um, it, it does make such a big difference. Uh, the, the small amount of money that you do have to invest in a professional photographer uh, outweighs exponentially more. You, you're, making, you're losing out on potentially thousands of dollars if you aren't taking professional photos because uh, it, they just help your listing so much. But one thing that I do want to uh, let people be aware of is if you are going with the Airbnb photos, those are Airbnb proprietary photos. They, they, they keep those photos. Those aren't your photos. Um, so that, that's one of the disadvantages. The advantage of it is that it is an Airbnb photographer. So they do know what attracts type of, uh, Airbnb clients, but, uh, there, there is like resources out there. Like we do have a video, uh, where we, cause we use our own, uh, photographers and we get to pick which photos that we want to be able to list. Um, so, uh, there is a difference from like traditional real estate photography versus like Airbnb photography. Uh, but if you're just starting off, you don't have a clue like who to reach or what to do. Uh, the Airbnb photos is a good place to start. Right out. That's some, some good advice. I would, didn't even know that. It's probably a downside because I've definitely been using those photos elsewhere. So I should probably, should probably make sure I know what I'm doing there. Um, <clears throat> all 
All right. Do you have any like tips and tricks you think for uh, for like a new investor in the Airbnb game or the short term rental game? Yeah, I think I think I think if you're looking to get started into real estate investing, I think that it's probably the the best option for you. Um, it's if you're looking if you don't have money, let's say you can get into co-hosting and start managing other people's properties and gain experience. Like I got my first client uh, when I didn't even have any experience. I had the podcast, which I was able to say like, hey, I, I interview people, so uh, at least I talk to people that know what they're doing. But you could you could say, hey, I I have a blog, and you might have like you know, a couple of blog posts out there and be like, hey, I've got a blog or I talk about Airbnb stuff uh, or whatever, whatever is able to give you credibility uh, to be able to justify why you'd be a good host. There's a lot of people out there that want to get into the space that don't have a clue how to host. And if you just come with the knowledge, they're willing to be able to work with you and you can learn as you're also getting their property listed. Uh, that's what I did with my first client. And um, so it's, it's a good way to be able to get into the space. Um, and then if you're looking to get into uh, you know, larger things, let's say you're looking to get into rental arbitrage, uh, just the returns are crazy. Like we didn't talk about the returns, but for a rental arbitrage property, you're looking at anywhere from, let's say, uh, anywhere from, let's say, a $500 to $3,000 a month uh, are, are your typical type of returns. It's, it's really not uncommon. This is, you know, during this, the high seasons, you can, you know, for a $2,000 property, let's say that you are um, renting, you could potentially get, you know, $6,000 a month off of, uh, you know, 6,000 a month gross. So you're, you're netting, you know, let's say 4,000, you know, $4,000 off of that property, maybe, maybe $3,000. Uh, that's not impossible within this space. So um, people don't realize uh, the, how, lucrative this the spaces um which is probably good and we should probably stop talking about this but, <laughs> but uh no it, it's life-changing um like we have our own mastermind group and it's crazy like we have like uh over uh, 20 people right now uh within our group and people with just like one property they're making like fifteen fifteen hundred dollars like where, where does that happen in traditional real estate uh that's you know you have to spend forty thousand dollars to make maybe like let's say three hundred dollars a month while in the short-term renting space, you could have maybe two clients and you're making $1,000 and you didn't have to uprun any of the cash or you have one rental arbitrage property and you're able to make you know, $2,000, it's, $3,000. It's really unheard of, um, but that's why I'm excited to be able to talk about this stuff with you guys. Yeah, and for the price of a, you know, a, a deposit and a first month's rent, in essence, you're getting in. I mean, my deposit here was 3000 my first month rent was 3000 so for 6000 i could have theoretically rental arbitrage with a property that you know is in san diego um and that's way different than a 20% down pay down payment so definitely some some pretty cool <clears throat> pretty cool opportunities in there awesome um well let's see before we get into like my my standard questions uh is there anything on Airbnb that we missed that you think we should touch on real quick? Um, no, I, I just think the, the most important thing, uh, if you are just starting off though, check with your regulations. So many people make the mistake of investing into a property. Uh, and that's, what's scary about like traditional, you know, buy and hold type of uh, real estate investing is you might be purchasing a property without having done the research. Like when I purchased my property, um, I, 
the, the regulations changed just a couple months before I actually purchased it. Uh, but there was talk about it for a while, which I didn't do the, that much in-depth research. Uh, but regulations do uh, can prevent you from being able to maximize that, that rental income. So uh, definitely check with your regulations. Get everything from the .gov site. Uh, don't trust just like you know what people are saying on Facebook. Go to the source. If you can't find the source, um, then you know make some phone calls. But it is so important to check with regulations before you do anything. Yeah, I agree for sure. <clears throat> Especially in some of those bigger towns where there's uh, kind of some controversy behind. I know New York, like the good luck, and uh, and they were like the biggest Airbnb market too before that all those restrictions. So um, hopefully that gets overturned eventually. But who knows? Um, Awesome. So if a young service member was to walk up to you asking for advice, and this is perfect because you're still a young service member, which like, kind of like myself, I'd like to consider myself young. Um, I ask you for advice, like financial advice or whatever. Like what, what would you tell them? What do you wish you'd known when you first got in the military? Yeah, it's, it's tough because, um, you know, I, I had the, the ability to be able to uh, house hack. Uh, I know a lot of the other services don't have that type of um, luxury to be able to, you know, rent out. Uh, but I, for new service members, I would start with, um, you know, just, just try a bunch of different things. That's really what I, I did. Not everybody's going to be a short-term rental host. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, it takes a certain type of person to be, uh, to do it. Uh, I think everybody can do it. Um, but you have to find out what's right for you. Like I know people that are crushing it in the wholesaling space. I know people that are crushing it as real estate agents, uh, and they're, they're in the military, but you know, you have to find what's right for you. And um, that really just comes through trial and error. Uh, educate yourself. There's a lot of really good resources. I read all, a lot of books. Um, I listen to a lot of podcast episodes. Uh, get the uh, MWR. So there's this app called Overdrive where you can actually um, uh, connect with the local MWR. So like the Army MWR, there's the Navy MWR. And uh, there's free audiobooks, free eBooks. Um, listen to those, educate yourself, find what resonates with you, with you and what you're passionate about and uh, just try things. And you're not going to know until you actually take action and do stuff, but uh, you have to take that first step. Yeah. That, that MWR app is awesome. I wish I'd known about that sooner. Um, I mean, I'm, I love my audible membership, but free is definitely better than $30 a month. So I have the like super high end, way too many books, audible membership. And I still max it out this weekend. I drove up to San Francisco and back and I think I finished like six books, um, which is, I mean, great. But like at some point you're like, okay, maybe some music for a change. Uh, <laughs> but they were all good books. So, um, what is the one resource that you recommend like book course, website, whatever, uh, that you would recommend to anyone looking to get started in real estate or business? Yeah, I think I think a book that really resonates with me is uh, the one thing. Um, I, it's 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 hard because I was just talking about you know you have to try a bunch of different things, but you, you have to try a bunch of different things until you find the thing that resonates with you. And once you find that thing that does resonate with you, um, you should really start focusing and doubling down on that. Um, like there, there's there's a lot of ways to be able to make money, uh, but you have to find the one the one thing that does resonate with you. Um, I mean, I don't think you have to read the book now, but <laughs> it, it really is that the whole concept is you, you find, find what you, find what, uh, you're passionate about, find something that really, uh, is in line and then forget about everything else. Uh, I like what, what Warren Buffett says, uh, you know, I, there's a story that, you know, his pilot was like, Hey, you know, give, give a list of, uh, 
uh, the, all the things that you want to do um, in your life because he was, I guess he was like over, overwhelmed with like, oh, you know, Mr. Buffett, there's way too much that I want to do. And then Warren was like, you know, take, take a list, write down like, like the top three or the top five things and then get rid of everything else and just focus on those, those things. It doesn't have to be exactly one thing, but you do need to know uh, what it is that you're doing and you can't be distracted by, you know, the new shiny object. Yeah, that's a good book. Uh, I think that's probably one of my favorite Gary Keller books. So it's definitely a good, a good read. Um, all right. So uh, before we wrap this up, anything that you'd like to add? Any parting advice or big ideas? Uh, I don't know if you want me to 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 throw out throw out what we're doing as far as investing wise, but sure, go for it. I was going to tell you to plug your website in just a second anyway. So let's let's hear it. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, one of the, one of the cool things that we are doing for people that are interested in getting into hosting but don't want to personally host themselves, uh, it, we have this uh, company, this management company called Co-Host It, where we can actually manage your properties for you. Uh, if you're looking to get into the rental arbitrage space, we also have this really cool uh, program, the Turnkey Arbitrage Program. Uh, so this is for people that maybe they realize like I'm I'm not I'm not going to be a host. I, I'm not going to be a good host. I don't want to create the systems and the processes to be able to you know maximize this this business. Uh, so so we do offer that type of passive investing for uh, investors through our turnkey arbitrage program. Um, we've had a lot of, uh, you know, heard a lot of positive feedback from it. A lot of people are interested. Uh, so if you do want to find out more about how you can invest passively into the space, or if you'd like to work with us, uh, we do offer consulting and management and uh, just a whole slew of resources. You can go to uh, shorttermsage.com. Uh, is the blog and the podcast where you can definitely get a lot of free content there. Uh, and if you're looking to get into the property management or the turnkey arbitrage uh, stuff, then you can go to cohostit, uh, it, cohostit.com um, for, for more information on that as well. Right on. Yeah. And tell him that you heard about him from this podcast so he doesn't think he wasted his time talking to us. Um, <laughs> no, uh, that was awesome. So Julian, uh, well, I guess I don't need to ask you where people can get a hold of you anymore. Um, I don't know. You got any good social media handles people can reach out on? Yeah, um, I'm I'm all, I'm all over. Uh, you can just go to uh, shorttermsage.com. Um, you can follow me, uh, Short Term Rental Success, uh, Vacation Rental Machine. That there's there's a lot of a lot of different shows that we're doing. So, uh, the best best place to go is shorttermsage.com and uh, all the social media, and uh, you can find me on there. Yeah, Julian's definitely becoming a hub for Airbnb, and it's it's really cool to watch. Um, which is why I went and called. We talked for probably an hour, hour and a half, uh, the other day, just so that I, I mean, I could learn new things about Airbnb, and he could. I, he was awesome. So definitely, definitely go check his stuff out if you're interested in the short-term rental game. Um, yeah, uh, Julian, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, David. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm very, very honored to be on the show. Uh, yeah, I'd like to be a, a military mil millionaire like you one day. <laughs> Wouldn't we all, right? We'll be, we'll, we'll be there. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Have a great day. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarytomillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.